0: If know you what you you do. your
1: Hello, welcome back to week eleven of out on that line unfortunately this week it is going to be just me uh talking to you about elvis costello's classic album trust uh alex couldn't make it this week he's just been you know a little bit under the weather you know just uh what what is that what is that alex conscious music
2: it's me jeff i'm here i beat the odds oh my god i made it And I've got something to say. You and I have talked about this privately, and I haven't told you what this is. But I did tell you that it's a bit of a mea culpa, an apology that I need to issue. The Pettysburg Address, as we've been calling it, if you will. I have been beating up on a couple people in particular on this podcast. Mm -hmm. I have a tendency to shit all over Taylor Swift. The Uh 1975 are not safe. But there's someone that I've been kind of bat bat bat. Just kind of taking cracks at. And I have to come through with an apology. Okay. Can you guess who it is? I can't. It's Billie Eilish. Oh, my goodness. I have to issue a formal, out-on-that-line apology to Miss Eilish.
1: And what brought that on?
2: Well, I'll tell you, Jeff. The other night, (laughs) I was sitting and working on a script. And I was like, oh, I kind of need some music to listen to, but it can't be distracting me from my thoughts here. So it's got to be something that I'm okay with having on in the background to keep me company and not something mm-hmm. I'm going to get sucked into. Well, so much for that, because I ended up listening to uh, When We All Fall Down, What the Fuck Happens to us? whatever the fucking... <laughs> I should put I some. It's...
1: When we sleep, where do we fart or something like that? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. When you sleep, where do you lay your arm when you're sleeping with another person? <laughs> Um, I should put some respect on the album's name because I came around on it, but whatever. It's slow. P- progress is incremental. Yeah.
1: You know what? I haven't so, listened to that full album. I've liked the songs on it. Like, I think Bad Guy is an absolute bop. Like, I think that's an absolute jam.
2: Well, and therein lies the whole linchpin of the album is the concept of the bad guy.
1: Mm-hmm. Because
2: I'm trying to write a script, and that's all about structure. And I'm thinking like, okay, how do I want to structure this? What's going on? And through that, I started to really zero... Like, the the music became catchy, and I zero in on what's being said, what's going on, and I Mm -hmm. found the structure in that album. And thematically, it really kind of is the rise and fall of the bad guy. Okay. And something about that just kind of stuck for me, because she repeats it at the very end of the album. It sounds like the bad guy in a a Scarface way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Say goodnight to the bad guy. Yeah. So... I think it was – it. that's what I get out of it anyway is structurally it's the, the rise and fall of a delinquent. And I don't think she thinks she's so cool that she's an outlaw. I think it's, it's like a totally distance examination of what that looks like because she okay. has no life experience like that. She's fucking 17. Yeah. She's only ever lived on one side of the law, the right one. So <laughs> – And what's remarkable about it is it stops sounding like a 17-year-old who's just kind of like playing with these themes. She put a lot of work into it, I guess is Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. like, I I realized the more I listen to it, I'm like, I don't love the low-key kind of like weird murmury effects. I don't love all of the production on it. Mm -hmm. But she's taking a fucking chance. She's trying to serve a certain audience, the TikTok crowd. And that's her age group. I mean, she's 17. She's not my age. So I I think she's someone with a lot of talent. And I don't love this album. It's not like, oh, I suddenly think it's the greatest fucking thing ever. But it, for me, was my Trout Mask replica, which I think yeah. I've talked about before. Mm-hmm. You have to listen to it multiple times to get anything out of it. And eventually what made me crack it was I pick one. I pick either the singer, Beefheart, or I pick an instrument, and if I follow that, I can make it through the song, yeah. and everything else falls into place. So it was just like cracking the Billy Eilish album and finding a way into it, where it kind of—I get it now. I can't say I love it, I respect its right to exist, and I—I I get it. I understand it. So I want to say good job, Billy, and uh, I look forward to what's coming next.
1: Great job, Billy. Great work. That you were like uh, like Tom Hanks cracking the uh, the Eilish code. You know?
2: Yeah, you know me. Yeah, with my nice hairpiece on. <laughs> That's
1: great. I gotta listen to that whole album. I haven't listened to it um, in full. Like I said, I like a few of the songs. I think the one she performed at the Grammys when she won basically everything, um, you know, I think was a really good one. I think it was one of the slower ones. I don't, I don't know the name, but yeah, well, uh, was... I,
2: I stick. I stick by my assumption, my assertion that the album doesn't belong on the five hundred greatest albums of all time. Not at this point. Yeah. Does it deserve to win a bunch of Grammys? I don't fucking think so. But I'm also the guy that's like, why would you give awards for art? So. Yeah. I'm pro Eilish. I flipped. Okay. Yeah. Hell if yeah. If the country's going to flip blue, I'm going to flip green for Eilish.
1: <laughs> well, I think with the awards thing that it's it's easy to, I think there should be some sort of reward for creating things like that. It shouldn't be such a ranked competition though. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't be that if you like weren't nominated, your album must not have been good enough. You know, it's like, right. Because you think about an entire calendar year and kind of the quality of artists, especially now, I mean, since the Grammys have existed, like, and the ease with which that music can get disseminated now with social media and like Spotify, all these like really quick, you can just grab and go kind of services. um, It's tough to say that, you know, how could you narrow it down to just five or 10? I don't, did they expand it to 10 or was that just the Oscars?
2: I don't keep up with the Grammys at all or the Oscars.
1: Yeah. I mean, whatever amount it is, even if it's 10, like that's still, you're going to say, you're going to pick what you say are the 10 best albums, but it's by a small group that's picking them. Um, Thankfully with the Grammys, I think it's more the recording artists themselves that pick it. And it's not like an Academy like it is with the Oscars. Right, Um, But it's, it's, albums should be rewarded, I guess is what I'm saying. It shouldn't be necessarily that one wins and it means the others weren't as good. Um, it just, you know, I think there, it should be tweaked. I think there should be a night of recognition for, you know, what artists have put out that year, but I think the way they do it, I, I agree with you is, is, is a little, a little strange.
2: Well, cause it's just kind of centered now on marketability. Like, you know, if you win the Grammy for best new album, or you win the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, yeah. your asking price goes up. And there's a lot that the people behind the machine can do with that as opposed to like you want to just be like, hey, again, if it was an artist consensus where it's like, hey, we pulled the industry and this is uh, Luke Combs' year. He had a banner year mm-hmm. and we want to recognize how much ass he kicked this year and how much he looks like yep. Matt Reno. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I I sent a, I was sending a few texts to the to Matt Reno last night when I had, was imbibing on those uh those whiskey drinks I was talking to you about. You
2: Who's were that? in your cups, yes. <laughs> oh,
1: yes, I was I was deep in my cups last night. <laughs> little little tough. But I got myself a nice uh sausage McMuffin though this morning. Took the dog to the vet for some their her annuals and then uh stopped got myself some some delicious McDonald's breakfast.
2: See, that's what I thought you meant when you said take the dog to the vet. I thought that's what you meant getting yourself a McMuffin. <laughs> yeah, I got real drunk last night. Woke up this morning had to take the dog to the vet, if you know what uh, I'm saying.
1: That should be a euphemism for something, right? It's like see a man think, about a horse. Yeah. Take the dog it to is the vet. now. That's a good one. Yeah. We're going to start using that. Uh, you keep All credit goes to out on that line. When you start using that in real life, folks, all credit goes to us. Make sure you know that. Yep. Um, okay. So... What do you say we discuss Elvis Costello in the Attractions album Trust? Now, I will say the reason that we're doing this album, this one came out, what, 81? 81. Correct? Um, And the reason we're doing this one is because Alex is a self-proclaimed big Costello fan. I am a self-proclaimed non-fan of Elvis Costello. Um, And for the reasons why is if anybody's ever watched the – I think it's called the lost tapes. It's a documentary on Showtime. It's about, um, I think it was T bone Burnett. The record label had found a bunch of, uh, old Bob Dylan lyrics that he never did anything with. And Mm -hmm. they asked T bone Burnett to kind of get a group together. Um, and the group that he got together was the lead singer of Dawes. It'd be great if I remembered his name. What is, do you remember? I think it's Taylor something, right?
2: Good question. So that guy, No um,
1: Jim James, Yim Yames from My Morning Jacket, uh, Marcus Mumford from Mumford and Sons, uh, Rhiannon Giddens from the Carolina Chocolate Drops. I think she's doing her own solo stuff now. She's very good. Check her out. Um, As well as our man Elvis Costello. And I had listened to some Elvis Costello songs previously. Um, Like everybody's heard Allison, you know, like everybody's heard that song. Like he's got a few that are, that are big hits. Um, And I've seen Austin Powers. So, you know, I'm very well aware of, (laughs) of the Costello. (laughs) Um, but in that documentary, um, he was probably the least useful part of it. Probably the, the least, uh, the person that contributed the least and seemed to kind of argue with everybody about the right way to do things. And it's like, Mm -hmm. he was the kind of elder statesman of the songwriters in there to, to be fair. But, you know, we're not talking about people that are bad at what they're doing. I mean, Jim James, a great songwriter. I know you're, you know, pretty good fan of Dawes and I've, certainly listened to a handful of their songs quite a few times, you know, um, but I just kind of got a little sour taste in my mouth from, from that appearance in the documentary with him. So, you know, but I did say with this podcast that we were going to come into this willing to change our minds and Alex, great example already with the Billie Eilish thing. Um, and I think I've, I've warmed slightly to Elvis Costello with this one. Um, I was able to find a couple songs that I enjoyed or I guess that I just didn't want to immediately turn off. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's faint and damning praise right there.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's get, so you, let me know, you tell me why, what it is in Elvis Costello that, that really trips your trigger.
2: Okay. I think, you know, Part of it is probably abstract. It's just like, why do you like a certain scent? I'm sure there's probably some reason in your unconscious mind why the smell of fresh cut grass mm. and pipe tobacco makes you feel a certain way. And I'm not smart enough to know what it is. So there's, there's a certain amount of abstraction where it's like the music just sounds good to me. Mm. Like it gets stuck in your head and you kind of vibe with it. But then beyond that, I think it's really the way that he—I'm drawn to people like Tom Waits, Frank Zappa, David Bowie, even though he had arguably the most mainstream success out of anyone I just named. Mm-hmm. And also, he's, he's well-loved. And not all of his stuff, a lot of it was more conceptual. Um, but people like Tom Waits, people like Elvis Costello— are the defender of the outcast. And mm-hmm. even though I'm kind of over my like teenage martyrdom days where I'm like, no one understands me, mm-hmm. I'm lost. You could find me down in the Reaper Bond hanging out with a one-eyed <laughs> whore, like <laughs> no, you're 16. Clean your fucking room. Shut up. <laughs> but I've I've always had an affinity. It's why I I, until he stopped making anything worthwhile, really liked Tim Burton. Because Mm -hmm. anyone that has an affinity for the asymmetrical, the broken, the lost, the damaged, I'm really interested in that because, again, I'm going to beat up on her because I can't give too much ground. Taylor Swift, Mm -hmm. when Heartache goes as far as my Froyo order was a little lumpy, I can't get interested (laughs) in that. But a lot of the songs on Trust, on this album in particular, are reflective of like an aging Lothario who blames women for his lack of luck with women. Mm -hmm. But this is the album where he finally started to realize like, maybe I'm the problem. If you walk outside and everyone's an asshole, maybe they're not. Maybe you're the asshole. Mm -hmm. This was kind of the first reckoning with this. Um, And I just think in terms of the overall scope of why I love Elvis Costello... That's really what it is. Is just his his interest in the broken and -hmm. the belittled and the damned and and the stories that he tells about them and can they get out of suffering? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. And sometimes his shit is more abstract than you know a song like Veronica, which tells a story, which is Mm -hmm. on the album Spike. Um. So yeah, I think as a as a storyteller with a niche interest, that's really what kind of does it for me. That and his. He isn't afraid to do a lot of different things. Trust is an album where he tried out a bunch of different things. He he wasn't really concerned with genre. Like You look at his first couple albums, My Aim is True, which is his debut. That's the Mm -hmm. Angry Young Man album. You look at This Year's Model, that's kind of an incel, men go their own way Mm -hmm. type thing where it's like, women suck and I have no luck with them um armed forces was his political album get happy was the 60s r&b album so he's always kind of been able to put change every time Mm -hmm. but put himself in a new box and trust he just kind of like threw darts at the board and went in whatever direction interested him so i i appreciate whenever anyone tries to do something like that too it's a long way of giving my answer i guess
1: i think that explains it because i felt like i was listening to a splatter painting <laughs> on a lot of it, you know, and and so I think one of my overall things that I found it difficult to kind of get in to the whole album um, is just I felt like I had a kind of lack of context for a lot of the things that he was singing about, so it was tough to kind of extract what it is he because he uses some very like kind of off the wall metaphors and and you know ways to describe things you know so it it was. I feel like I kind of got the general idea um, but without knowing all of the slang and everything that he was using and and knowing kind of where he was trying to go with a lot of those metaphors I felt like I was missing the message on a lot of the on a lot of the songs and you Mm -hmm. know especially on the first one Clubland you know because musically throughout the album I enjoyed it I mean it was off the wall like it was it was just he was clearly just like, you know what? I feel like having a piano right there. I feel like having a second guitar right there, you know? So, and it all worked like rhythmically. It was good. It was interesting. You know, there was no, um, there was no point where I was like, wow, I really am confused about what he's doing here. It's just that, you know, it's, I felt like with lyrically, I just didn't have the context to understand necessarily the stories he was trying to tell me. um, And maybe, on other albums like you mentioned there's a 60s R&B one maybe that style of music is going to be more conducive to me understanding that um I feel like with this one this is probably like just Elvis Costello let his brain loose and just went wild on this one so you know with Clubland I I enjoyed it and it kind of struck me struck struck me struck me um as kind of like a not like a western town but you know, I'm kind of thinking of a of a smaller town, but that has that one hot spot, you know, but it's still a small town and it's like not the greatest place to be. Like it's kind of kind of run down, you know, it was kind of the vibe I was getting by it. Um, but you could tell me if that's something that you if if I have that wrong or right.
2: No, and I think this it to I guess maybe this con- this whole conversation will benefit from like a more abstract conversation Mm -hmm. than just like well lyrically what's going on here because i agree with you there is a density to his lyrics which i think cuts both ways it makes it very interesting but like the last song on the album uh 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 fuck i should know this without looking but i gotta do it. big
1: sister's clothes yeah big sister's clothes
2: um is About Margaret Thatcher and the incursion in the Falkland, like the whole Mm -hmm. Falklands War thing. I would not know that. And I don't think anyone reading the lyrics would necessarily get that. I mean, it's it's like uh, we're talking about with Run the Jewels when they talk about um, Napoleon and Toussaint. It's like, if you don't know who Toussaint is, it's easy to just kind of let it go. Yeah, And if you do, it adds way more context to the song and what he's trying to get across. Mm -hmm. So if you're an American listener with no idea what was going on in the conservative government of England in the 80s, then you're not going to look at it on that level. You can only look at the text before you. And it completely changes your interpretation of the song, which I guess is good and, and kind of opens up a different discussion, which is... Sometimes you get something that's super direct. It's something like uh, Bruce Springsteen, I'm Going Down. Pretty pretty direct to know what that song is about. But anytime you're kind of being metaphorical, I could see someone who didn't really necessarily get what was going on in Rainmaker. You and I might think it's obvious, but maybe someone listening from Mumbai... Is not going to understand, yeah. oh, this is about Trump and this is about demagogues. Yeah. They might just be like, oh, it's about like the American tradition of the the like Native Americans and Rainmaker and the raindance. Mm-hmm. Like who fucking knows what they get out of it. Yeah. So that's kind of a pitfall with Elvis Costello and lyrical interpretation. It's very dense, which can flavor it really nicely, but can also make it really frustrating.
1: Yeah. And there were, you know, I will, when we get through and you know i'm able to talk about it he does at certain points he does become a much more concise storyteller on a couple songs on the album which is great because those songs i really liked and i was like okay well i can i can see why you know you and tanner you know really love this guy you know and i can it's i don't think it's something that i'm gonna probably go back and you know and listen to a bunch but you know certainly i've i've Kind of put my knives away a bit on on Elvis Costello here. I do want to point out. I thought the bridge on this song was really really clever, uh, where he said the long arm of the law slides up the outskirts of town. So you know it's like little double entendre there. Um, and meanwhile in clubland they are ready to pull them down. You know and so that just the outskirts of town like everybody knows what that is just the outer city limits. But they're he's talking about it as you know reference to a woman's garment, and it's just a really clever spot and he's got those little shots throughout the album you know where it's like all of a sudden you know through the haze a a shining light of something i could actually understand which was nice um and it's you know again so musically it's good but i think a lot of the like lyrically you know it's just like you know i don't know how much i don't know how much work i want to do to unpack it all you know it's it Mm -hmm. to me it just doesn't doesn't quite fit with me as far lyrically but the music is is good like the fact that he could make everything that you know should sound so disjointed but it sounds like it's just about to go off the rails the whole time but it just never does you know it's just a very well you know as far as you know the production and everything was very good
2: well he and the crew were also drunken on drugs making this album like, Oh, okay station to station was the one Bowie doesn't remember making alvis costello talks about like I finished this album with jack and gin and powders and only one of them was, you know, you know, antifungal powder or whatever wink <laughs> wink. So, I mean, they were all fucked up and a lot of the like drum playing in this, you can tell is right on the edge of mm-hmm. like we might have to get some coffee in this dude. Yeah. Um so it it you're you're right. It all it all works. It all sounds like at any moment if somebody gets tripped up, they're fucked. Everyone's fallen down the escalator. But I think that's kind of its charm, too. Is it's got like a, a chaotic charm mm-hmm. to it. And then when it needs to be pulled back and, and beautiful on something like Shot With His Own Gun, mm-hmm. which is very, very simple. It's basically just Co- Costello and Steve Naive yeah. on piano. Um, So this actually brings up, I think, again, with this, because I'm an established, I'm a credentialed Costello <laughs> advocate. And you didn't really like him before, probably don't still like him this much so it's I think more of an interesting conversation from those two perspectives than maybe even like drilling down in every lyric on every song yeah so let me ask you an overall question about Elvis Costello in what way because we're talking about the work you have to do to unpack the lyrics in what way does his voice create some distance between you and the enjoyment of his music so
1: I I don't hate his voice, you know, and I think, I think the way he sings some of the lyrics gets a little bit annoying. Cause I'm just like, finish the line, you know, and, it's, and, and he, cause he really does stretch it out a mm-hmm. lot, you know, and you had mentioned it and, um, goddamn, I'm going to forget her name. Who, Leanne Lavis, when we were doing that album and we were kind of discussing that kind of vocal style that, that she was doing. Um, you know, I didn't realize that he does it all the time like every other chronically yeah chronically um and it works sometimes but then other times I'm just I feel like because it's just his cadence is just not what I expect it to be to match with the music so I found myself kind of just getting tripped up and kind of just lost a little bit sometimes while I figured out where he was coming back in or whether that was still the same line um but as far as his voice you know that doesn't you know, it's not the obviously the greatest voice of all time, but it wasn't, you know, the actual, his vocal abilities were not, you know, I I didn't find them at all detestable or anything like that.
2: Because that's another, I think, argument that could be made is some of the way when he is stretching words or condensing them very quickly, but he's got that high-pitched nasal and he's British and he's not like overwhelmingly British. Yeah. But it's just enough that with the intonation in his voice and an accent and saying something like digitation," like, and he's trying to not just say it l- exactly on the beat. Yeah. It's like prestidigitation, mm-hmm. like how he ha- tends to phrase things. I mean, there are some songs that going back through and looking at the lyrics for this discussion, I caught stuff that I'd been like singing to myself completely wrong. Yeah. I'd never like really bothered to look at the lyrics. I'm like, well, That is not what I thought it was. Okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it's just like I said, I mean, I've listened to a ton of Bob Dylan. Like, his voice is not the greatest. You know, I've listened to a bunch of, like, some Tom Waits. Like, I've listened to a bunch of other, you know, music where you're not going to, people, you know, the singer's not a classically good singer. You know, you're not going to think, like, Bob Dylan in a room with Aretha Franklin, like, aretha franklin's <laughs> a better singer in that competition 11 times out of 10 you know oh, fuck um, but it doesn't mean that it just as long as it matches the music as long as they're not trying to do so much you know because i don't think at any point he ever thought of himself as a great singer either mm-hmm. you know i think he was just like i'm the i have this idea in my head i'm the one that is gonna have to del- to deliver it so he's saying well enough for that um so i've got nothing bad to say about his voice just maybe the way he structures his cadence you know kind of the meter he uses sometimes is like where did you come up with that like what you know and and i was like why did you think that did you you should have done i was like you should have done another take where you sang it a little different and compared them and realized that if you didn't you don't have to stretch every single end of the second like every single b line um in every single verse and it just seemed like that's kind of what he was doing um because he definitely has like I don't want to say like a vocal tick because it's it, but it's like, that's his style, you know? And it just, it pulls me out every time it happens. Like it kind of just jolts me and I'm like, Oh, that's not what I expected to happen. So now I have to like zero back in on what I'm trying to listen to.
2: Well, and it's like anything but formulaic. So it's not, it's like very rarely like an A, B, A, B, or A, A, B, B or anything like that. Um, He's all over the place structurally and it keeps it very exciting but the downside of that is sometimes there's a song that I love by him, Party Girl, off of mm-hmm. Armed Forces. And it starts a certain way, and you fall in love with the way it sounds, and then he changes it. It's like a very abrupt departure into the chorus. And then it goes into this like post-chorus almost. It's hard to categorize like structurally from music theory standpoint what is actually mm-hmm. it's not a bridge. It's just like an extra part of the song that doesn't sound like the first verse doesn't follow the same rhyme scheme. It's like no two seconds in this song are like the other. Yeah. So it's great. But then sometimes you're like, you know, there's kind of a hook to this. And if you wanted to, you could ride that a couple more times and I'd be into it. So I think that's also probably why with the, the lost tapes, he didn't fit in with that group. A, A, the the elder statesman but b i think he's just he really only can write for himself and his people Mm -hmm. in a very specific style your mileage may vary like momofuku is an album that he did that i if i'm not mistaken was like orchestral selections Mm -hmm. doesn't really work for me he did do an entire album of country songs that is much maligned, but I actually happen to really enjoy.
1: See, I feel like he would be good at that.
2: I mean, you hear it on uh, uh, on this one, Rings on a Different Finger.
1: Yeah. Like I,
2: I, that's a country song.
1: Yeah, and I felt like the more simple he got, the more I liked it on this uh-huh. album. You know, so um, like the song you were talking about, Shot With His Own Gun. Um, that was a, you know, that was one that I liked. And I think, let's see, um, You'll Never Be a Man. I thought was yeah. another was another good one. That one's kind of a bop, you know, but it's just, I felt like the way that, you know, he put things together, it was easy enough to understand. Um, you know, it's like, you know, it was easy enough to like see what he was talking about so that I could maybe connect with it a little bit, you know, and it's just, and the way he sang it was, was very, a little more formulaic than some of the other songs on there. So, you know, me being, such a big fan of like pop rock from like the 60s, 70s and 80s and stuff like that really appeals to me when, when songs are like that. So he, you know, has always marched to the beat of his own drum, you know, so he's kind of dipped into that territory a little bit here and there. Uh, But that's not his MO, you know, from what I, from what I understand and from what I heard on this album, you know, but that was a song that I, that I thought was pretty good. Um, I definitely put a star next to that one. Lover's Walk, I didn't think was great.
2: No, I mean I get "Lovers Walk." I get it, but yeah, we can skip over that. Honestly, what I'd like to do is just go through the ones that you that kind of tripped your trigger. Yeah. If I want to ask you a question about anything else, we can loop back. So you want to just stick with "You'll Never Be a Man" because I do have questions for you on this one. Yeah. So, what was your interpretation of the the story here or the themes? Like, what what do you think the song's about? No wrong answers. Just curious.
1: So I kind of got the idea that you know he was obviously you mentioning him, you know, drinking a lot and probably doing some drugs while making this album made sense. Cause it kind of struck me as like one of them, like he was trying to get with a woman and one of them had had too much of something like it, is kind of what it, it struck me as. And it's, you know, where, and I think what kind of gave me that um, when you're half a woman and you're half awake with, with a face full of tears and a chemical shake, you know, and that kind of told me, it's like, well, I don't know if she's ODing, but it certainly sounds like there's some substances going on here and and he's kind of towing the line of like whether it's okay or not to do something with her, you know, and, and I don't know if that's correct, but that's kind of what I got from this one.
2: The thing is when he does talk about what a song is about, I mean, you'd be surprised how like little information you can find about mm-hmm. lyrical interpretation with him. And I like that. Because if you are going to make something that's so lyrically dense, it it obviously will be about something specific to you. But I think it's kind of nice when you leave it open to interpretation. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you really need people to walk away and go, oh, that song was about a breakup, then it's on you to make that crystal clear. Mm -hmm. But if it's more you trying to convey an emotion or a feeling or a concept, then you can be more abstract with it. So I agree with you in the sense that I think that it's definitely two people out and (laughs) there may be vibing a little bit. And to me, it's everything you said, but the guy fucks up and is coming on too strong Mm -hmm. and isn't really making a great impression and gets turned down. Okay. And now he's doing the incel thing where he's like, fuck a bitch, like whatever, you you just hate men. You just hate all men. That's why you don't want to be with me because I look at something like – You'll never be a man no matter how many foreign bodies you can take. Mm-hmm. You're half a woman, half awake, faceful of tears and chemical shake. Like basically, like, you're just a dried up old bitch and you'll never be, you know, you're not even a woman and you can't really even be a man. Mm-hmm. We know that all women have penis envy. It's just like a very, it's like a weirdly brutish song mm-hmm. that when you listen to it, there's such clever wordplay in certain parts. So it sounds very genteel. But it's it's almost like a real male chauvinist pig anthem. Yeah. Like I love this line. You strike a profile on the low side of my imagination. My eyes climb down to find the point of possible saturation. I mean, we can all figure out what he <laughs> means there. <laughs> Do you have a functioning vagina? Yeah. I don't think so. It's like he want he's he this guy clearly wants to get laid and is frustrated by the fact that this woman is not having it, so it must be a defect with her. Yeah, I wouldn't want to is, bang
1: you anyway, yeah.
2: Yeah, and you don't deserve these horn-rimmed glasses, baby. So
1: I wonder, so when he says, no matter how many foreign bodies you can take, I think the obvious answer there is, is drugs, like foreign bodies, like pills, coke, whatever you want to say, like how much of that you can take and, and still function. But also, I think it could mean like how many women he could get with too. Like, you know, would everybody, you know, when you're younger and everybody's talking about their number, you know, and I think that to him, like obviously with how he's acting, with getting shut down here, um, you know, to him, like how many people he slept with is a badge of honor, you know? So it's, it's, but she's saying, you know, no matter how many you've slept with, how much, how many drugs you do, that doesn't make you any more of a man, you know? So I think, I think that's kind of a cool thing he did there too. Um, and again, it's just I felt like I really got enjoyment out of the songs that I felt like I could really understand. And this was mm-hmm. one of them that I was like, at least maybe I didn't get it exactly right. But at least I got something out of it that I could put it in context as I was listening to it. Yeah.
2: yeah. The bass line on this one, too. It's mm-hmm. it's like nice and subtle. But those moments where everything else kind of blips away for a minute so you can hear it. Just that mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, great stuff. A lot there of was, like the bass lines McCartney on this album were really. This.
1: This were really good all the way through. I think it was hold on. What's the I wrote down which one? I guess I can't remember which one. There was a, I guess maybe because it was a, there was a few of them, but I just there was a lot of really good bass lines in this. Like his his band is good.
0: And oh, I think the, he's
1: yeah. yeah, and I think he's a pretty good guitar player too, you know. I, I don't think he's any slouch um when it comes to the strings, but you know, I think his band was really the strength of this whole album. And like if they were playing this kind of stuff and they were that hammered, I mean, that's that's wild to me. I would never be able to, would never have been able to do that. No job. Yeah.
2: I mean, I, I I wouldn't presume to speak for the attractions, but he did. He was like, oh, yeah, we were all we were all on drugs. I'd love to hear all of them be like, no, we weren't. Yeah, we were fine. Yeah, he really? was fucked up.
1: Bass players like I was sober as a judge.
2: Yeah. You fucking kidding me? I never had a drop of alcohol in my life. <laughs> you know what he's talking about? <laughs> Um, what um yeah what's another one or actually wait I wanted to ask you a question about this and it's a yeah. potentially touchy topic uh-huh. but I sent this song I put it on a playlist for a girl that I was briefly seeing in New York uh-huh. um, and I had just come back I got to see Elvis Costello on my birthday last year and I just gotten back and I was having this date with her and I had mentioned, like, oh, I saw Elvis Costello. He's one of my favorites. And she's like, oh, I'm not familiar. Make me a playlist. So I did. And this song was on it. Mm -hmm. And the next time we had dinner, she was like, I can't believe you like that You'll Never Be a Man song. I was like, why? What's what's wrong with it? I mean, if you don't like it, you don't like it. But it seems like you have a very specific reason why I shouldn't Mm -hmm. like it. What is it? And she was like, it is the most transphobic thing I have ever heard in my life. Well, I don't know about that. (laughs) And then I really looked at the lyrics. I'm like... I guess I understand where you would derive that interpretation purely from the text, I guess, mm-hmm. if you wanted to. It's like a Nostradamus prediction. You can make it fit. Yeah. You'll never be a man no matter how many hormones, no matter how many foreign bodies you can take. You're half a woman. That's a stretch. Like you're-
1: See, it was the half a woman line that I, that I would have thought was the one she pulled. I would like Foreign bodies, like that would have been the last thing I would have ever thought that was referencing.
2: First thing she went to, foreign (laughs) bodies, hormone therapy. I'm like, it was 1981, and I think if he was going to write a song about that, it wasn't going to be the perspective of when a song opens with, though the fist is mightier than the lip, it adds to aggravation. It's not going to be about punching a trans woman in the mouth. (laughs) He's he's not the most progressive guy on the planet, but he's no Republican.
1: (laughs) Well, it's really too bad that one didn't work out, huh?
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (sighs) <sighs> Jeff. Someday, someday. Someday I'll I'll meet Mrs. Wright.
1: <laughs> you just need to find a Mrs. Wright now for now, you know? Mrs. Wright will come we'll along. Do. Yeah, Mrs. Wright will come along sometime. Um so the next one that I really thought was pretty good was Luxembourg.
0: hmm
1: Um and it was just I I'm not absolutely positive about what it is, but it sounds like it's about like kind of corrupt politicians, maybe. Um or somebody that's a liar in some manner or a hypocrite. Um, but I, I really think it was, is it political? I mean, it feels like it's political.
2: I, yeah. I mean, it's, I would gather as much from, from reading the lyrics that it's political, but I actually came up with my own. I get a completely different read off of it than maybe what was intended. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously, like, an element of the corruption and the political message in it. But I looked at specifically the first verse. Dressed up like a dog's dinner, which I get means something different. Butter wouldn't melt on your paws. Mm -hmm. So dressed up like a dog's dinner is apparently a British expression, which means, like, you're way too dressed up. Like, Mm -hmm. hat on a hat is something that I say. Okay. It's just too much ornamentation. So dressed up like a dog's dinner, butter wouldn't melt on your paws. You're cold. If this is a dog's life, then you're the cat's clothes, the cat's pajamas. Mm -hmm. Um, They hire out your sons and hire out your daughters. The man from abroad says he's already bought her. And now you look like a lover, but you're only a tourist. So to me, I'm like, okay, a lover, someone who's consistent, or a tourist, which could be a hooker, someone who's only temporarily here to perform this duty. You're either talking or you're yawning. A hooker's only going to feign interest in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You didn't listen to a thing you heard. Um, don't start with your, your, uh, the lyric is don't start your morning moaning or you might wake up in Luxembourg. Mm-hmm. I kind of took that as like, watch your mouth or we can make you disappear. So to me, it's a song about corrupt politicians hanging out with hookers and there's danger on both sides. If the hooker okay. runs your mouth, they can disappear. you If the hooker gets the wrong idea, this could be very bad for the politician and his family.
1: Okay yeah that it was in in i just i i like the music in this one too, like I felt like it was a little bit more subdued i mean still still good like little rock song, but you know definitely less off the wall than other than other songs you know it had kind of uh it felt like just a much more concise structure to it um and I thought it was really good i mean still plenty dense lyrically um but it's it's very good like I like this one yeah,
2: it's got like a uh a... Kind of an Elvis Presley-esque quality mm-hmm. to it, musically. It's got that sense of urgency, the kind of hip-shaking.
1: Yeah. I wonder if he ever, like, straight-up did Elvis songs. Because, you know, Elvis Costello would make sense, right? It's right there. Yeah.
2: It's- I uh, I probably should know, but I don't. That's This is why we need Tanner on this episode. Like, <laughs> uh, actually... <laughs> Nineteen ninety four at a benefit concert in Greenland. <laughs>
1: he probably would know too. <laughs> yeah, that one was good. Um, the ne- actually the next song too, I think, is this like kind of the biggest one from the album. Watch your step.
2: One of yeah, I don't know what
1: are what are, is was Clubland a big hit from this one too?
2: Nothing off this was a big hit. Um, this was one of the only ones that he had done to this point that didn't spawn any singles that charted. Okay. Well, so I think this nothing... one could
1: this one should have, um, watch your step. I did like this one a lot. This is probably my favorite song on the album. Really? Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, it's good. I love the melodica on it. It's fucking yeah. great. And it and it
1: just seemed like um, you know, the way it was, like the way he said you better watch your step was like very cynical, you know, and very kind of foreboding. Um and it and it kind of gave me like a little bit of the chills, you know to a point. Cause it's like, it's almost like he's not really threatening them, but he's saying like the world is going to get you. So watch your step. Mm-hmm. You know, and it seemed like every verse, it was kind of just a different variation of like, you know, if you don't watch your back, you know, everything's going to be ruined for you. You know, and I think maybe he was saying it from like his own perspective about like having to watch his step. Um, Cause I think he pretty historically did not watch his step, you know, with the, no. <laughs> with the things he said and did. Um, you know, outside of, outside of music and stuff. I think he was a bit of a controversial guy from what I, from what I understand. Um,
2: Well, to, to fill in what you're talking about there, I assume this is what you're talking about, but he was hanging out with um, Stephen Stills from, uh, it's Stephen Stills, right? Crosby Stills National. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was Stephen Stills and uh, a female artist whose name escapes me. But they were all in a bar drinking. He didn't like what the woman was saying. They got into an argument about music, and he called Ray Charles the N-word twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, and this is not me excusing it. This is me giving context for what he said. Yeah, which is he was trying to be like, oh, he's a jive ass, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. He meant it complimentary while using the worst fucking word you can use to do so. Yeah. So that makes him a fucking prick. So because let me put let me put this right out there. If he had been like, he is an N-word who deserves to die, I would Mm -hmm. not be having this conversation with you about Elvis Costello. (laughs) I would not own a lick of his vinyl. (laughs) It is in no way to excuse what he said. I'm merely offering his explanation of events. That's all it is, Um, but that that's classic Elvis Costello. Open your fucking mouth and put your foot in there. Yeah, he's got big opinions. He's not necessarily going to tell you how to live, but you're going to hear what he has to say, and you're probably not going to like it because it's not going to be delivered with a lot of sensitivity.
1: Yeah, and that's why this song, like, just kind of knowing that about him, like, that's why this song, "Watch Your Step," it was like a very, almost like very delicately done. You know, you know, there's no like the music was, was pretty subdued on this one. You know, it wasn't a very high paced song. It didn't have a ton of energy to it, but it was very engrossing nonetheless. You know, it was very much like I, w- I was kind of waiting each time for that last line. We better watch your step, you know, because it always seemed to land It always seemed to hit. I think exact, exactly as he wanted it to. Um, and if it wasn't exactly as he wanted to, it was still plenty effective for me. You know, so I think this one, you know, as far as all the ones I liked on the album, I think this was the one I liked the best, honestly.
2: Well, and think about it, too. If you're trying to tell, trying to warn someone, you can either scream in their fucking face, don't fucking go down that alley, or you can completely undersell it. And either way, they're going to fuck up. They're either going to go, don't tell mm-hmm. me what to do, or they're going to say, well, it didn't seem like an imperative. Yeah, And then they're, they're going to be in trouble. But this kind of like sinister way that's like you'd better watch your step. Mm-hmm. That's that's fucking creepy. That stays with you. Yeah. So I agree with you. Yeah, it, it
1: was a good one. Um, the next ones, um, "New Lace Sleeves" was okay. I did not I did not star that one. Um, From a whisper to a scream. This one, I have no earthly clue what the hell he was talking about or trying to sing about on this one. Like no clue. Yeah. Um, and he had, this was, that was the one with, who was the guest singer? On Glenn Tilbrook. Was he in the attractions as well, or was he just a...
2: No, he was, uh, he's from Squeeze. Okay. Oh, that makes sense.
1: Okay. I was going to say, I think that, I, I was like, it sounds familiar, because he's got a very, you know, the guy that sings with him, at Glenn Tilbrook, he's got a very nice rock and roll voice. Yeah. You know, he's very, like... Like you fit in great with like the Kinks or you know one of those one of those British bands that you know, are just very digestible rock and roll music. Um, have
2: you listened to Squeeze beyond Tempted?
1: Um, I I don't think so. No.
2: There's some. I'll I'll make you a little playlist. There's okay. some really good. Um, Babylon and on Argy Bargy. Those are like really interesting Squeeze okay. albums. Squeeze had an interesting little new wave thing going on.
1: Okay, I, I would be happy to check them out. that would be good. Yeah, yeah, but on this one, I just have no. No clue what, what they were trying to what they were trying to go for on this one. So it just didn't didn't hit for me. Um different things. Did you like Yeah?
2: Sorry, I just wanted to ask you about Whisper to a Scream, because I fucking love it musically.
1: Musically is it's, great. And if you're just if you're just listening to the song, like the lyrics sound fine too. But when you're reading the lyrics and trying to understand what the hell he's talking about, I'm like, I have no, I have no word. There was no Rosetta Stone in this one for me to like even begin to get the context of what he was talking
2: about. I think it's about going out and getting drunk with the boys. Like from the from what I've been able to okay. piece together, this idea of like we're walking down the street, you see a hot girl who's like, "Come party with me," and it's like, "No, I've got plans. I'm getting pissed drunk with the fellas." Because okay. what? clued me in on it being a drinking song was after like several listens I couldn't crack um when the one over the 8 seems less Same. like one and more like four mm-hmm. or whatever the like actual lyric is yeah um I'm like what one over the 8 like what are they talking about time signatures that's no fucking time signature I've ever heard of so I had to look it up one over the 8 is apparently a british expression when you have one over the 8 it means it takes you about eight beers to get good and fucked up. And if you have one over the eight, you're having a good time. Okay. So four over the eight would be like, oh fuck, we're gonna got it. commit a B and E tonight. Okay, got it. That makes but sense. But to your point, someone else shouldn't have to come in and demystify it for you. There should be some access there. So you can enjoy it as a bop, but if it really truly is about something mm-hmm ideally you'd make it so that people can figure that out. I don't know.
1: And and I certainly I'm not sitting here saying, you know, that Elvis Costello owes me a goddamn explanation on this shit. You know, nothing <laughs> like that. But it's you know, it's just like for me to really dig in and enjoy something, like, you know, when people listen to us talk about that Bruce Springsteen album. Like I have all the context I could possibly ever need when it comes to Bruce Springsteen. You know, like there's mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot he's gonna put out that I'm not gonna be able to immediately understand what he's talking about. Um, you know, I think I've, I've, I've listened to at least every single studio release of every song he's ever done. Um, you know, I think there's tons and tons of bootlegs out there that I probably haven't heard. Um, but you know, I've listened to everything he's ever done. So for me, it, it takes no effort whatsoever to understand exactly what Bruce Springsteen is trying to say. So to come into Elvis Costello, who is somebody I have actively not listened to, um, you know, for forever, um, it's just, and how dense lyrically he is and and kind of how much he'll put things behind a wall of of kind of not disinformation just kind of confusion like not really knowing you know what he's trying to say necessarily Um, it was it was certainly an experience and I think a few of the songs I just kind of gave up I was like I'm never going to understand what the hell he's saying I'm just going to listen to the music and try to pick something up about that Um, and this was one of those ones where I was like, I have no, like when he says, but the one over the eight seems less like one and more like four. And I'm like, what the fuck is this a math (laughs) problem now? Like, I just, I was like, I don't know what the hell you're saying, man. I don't know what the hell you're saying, but musically, yeah, it was great as are most of the songs on the album. Yeah. Um, you were
2: going to bring up different finger until I cut you off. Uh,
1: this one was just kind of funny to me. I didn't really enjoy this one so much as i thought it was just funny but he's clearly doing some adulterin oh yeah yeah clear i mean this was probably on the whole album i think this was probably the most direct song where it's like there is one interpretation of what's going on here and that is it and i i I appreciate it for that but i feel like just musically and the way he sang it especially this one like was very much like he didn't there was no set standard meter he was going by it was just it seemed like a very stream of consciousness kind of kind of thing from him
2: yeah definitely and like country tends to be very direct and the problem for me as much as i love almost blue which is the country album that came out like pretty immediately after trust mm-hmm. and it's all covers um it's really good so like he covers uh good year for the roses and it's it like vocally he does a great job on it but on this song there's it's kind of a deadpan to it. Mm-hmm. it makes it a little difficult to enjoy like if there's not it's like a pretty standard honky tonk rhythm it's got the window dressing of the piano like it's a very classically like saloon country kind mm-hmm. of sound um but it's just not very exciting i enjoy the song and like part of me goes turn in your elvis costello credentials if you're going to criticize a song right like how can you say it's one of your favorite albums? You don't love everyone on it? yeah, you are supposed to be realistic about these things. Is it the most exciting one? No, is it the one I would give someone to get them into Elvis Costello? No, like this song again is totally fine, but it's nothing spectacular,
1: yeah, yeah, and I just I mean, I think the best thing about it was the just the kind of clever way he he put it like put everything together. Um, yeah. You know, please put your rings on a different finger if you meet me tonight, because I can't stand those suspicious glances. Like, so clearly he's not the one, I guess, that's cheating. He's sleeping with someone that's doing the cheating. Um, But I think any participation in that is you're just as guilty as anybody else would be. Um, But it's just the kind of, you know, not saying it directly, not saying like, take your wedding rings off. And like, I don't want to see your wedding rings. It's like, put the put those rings on a different finger. Um, You know, I, I don't want the way that people are looking at me. But it's like, it's it's just a very i thought kind of a clever way to do it and certainly probably the most accessible lyrics that he had on the on the whole album um or
2: it's a song about fisting i don't know, you
1: know? <laughs> yeah well he just said a different finger he didn't say change hands <laughs> you know so i don't i don't know he may be into it who knows is british or weird
2: yeah you know <laughs> after, after repression pleasure bursts <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, The next one was one that I really enjoyed was white knuckles. this was one that I put um, that I put the star next to. Um, And I think it, it's seems to be, you know, the way that one of the lines I think kind of explains the song very well is, you know, he needs her like the ax needs the Turkey, Um, which is obviously talking about, you know, decapitating a Turkey to be able to prepare it for food. Um, But it, it seems like, you know, it's just seems to be a very abusive relationship um and every verse kind of has a clever way of of doing that you know it's like they're clearly seem to have a great sex life but everything else is very destructive you know and it seems like yeah. that's the thread that holds them together um but everything else is kind of fallen apart
2: yeah and it's it's told i think lyrically this is some of his best stuff from an imagery standpoint mm-hmm. at, at, at the very least off this album but i would say overall um White knuckles on black and blue skin. He didn't mean to hit her, but she kept laughing. White knuckles sweating on the headboard. He never found out what the kisser was for. So it's just like in those lines paints perfectly the nature of their relationship. Mm -hmm. The fact that this is a guy who beats her and she probably... Um, I, you kind of get a sense that like maybe he's got a weird dick or he's <laughs> fucking ugly. I mean, they mention <laughs> him not being attractive in the song. Yeah. So could be the kind of thing where like she gets off on humiliating him, but it makes him fly off the handle and hurt her. And she's either. I, I mean, I hope this doesn't sound like an icky, weird, massager thing to say. It's either a part of the dynamic that she accepts because mm-hmm. she doesn't think she can do any better or it is truly painful to her and she's unable to get away mm-hmm. for fear. He doesn't really seem to make a concrete judgment. It's mostly the other people like the mother and the sister saying at the end, he's using you. I told you so. Um, and trying to convince her to leave this negative relationship, but especially this line, he never found out what the kisser was for. Mm-hmm. It's like, he, he won't kiss her on the mouth. Yeah. He'll, he'll have sex with her. He'll beat her. But the, lips and the mouth are not the kisser for him. He means kisser in terms of like power right in the kisser, the honeymooners. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just like little tiny, weird, clever shit like that, that I dwell on mm-hmm. when I listen to songs like this. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, that an was a weird way of putting it. Yeah.
1: And I mean, it was it, very clear. That's what he was talking about. And just like, I think added to the fact that this guy seems like he's very, you know, he's got a terrible temper, obviously, you know, he's very like neurotic. You know, in the way that he's mm-hmm. not gonna kiss her on the lips. Probably maybe he thinks they're like dirty you know, or whatever it is. It's like maybe he's like it's a, too intimate. Yeah, he's a germaphobe. Maybe he thinks that they're having sex, but if they don't kiss, they're really not that close, you know. Right. Um, you know, who knows what the what the nature of their relationship is with that, but it definitely seems weird that, you know, it seems like she is the abused. And he is just somebody that is, you know, he's the abuser, but just seems to be like in his own head about everything is completely insecure and takes it all out on her. Yep. Yeah. That's, and it's just a very, like you said, just very interesting song. Um, And lyrically again was like accessible enough that, you know, it didn't take, you know, it took one listen through for me to understand exactly what the song was about. Um, And then, uh, you know, it took another listen just to kind of like make sure I was like really pulling out what I could. Um, and it was a very good, like, pretty concise kind of story. It was, I guess, not story, like a snapshot, almost like a little vignette of of life with these two people.
2: Yeah, yeah. definitely. A- and again, this is what I was talking about at the beginning, the broken, the damned, the confused, the outcast, <laughs> the loveless, the scorned. This is classic Costello fodder.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so moving on to uh, Shot With His Own Gun. Now, this one was, we had mentioned it, you know, just a couple times before, um, I enjoyed the music on this one. I felt like the lyrics, especially the chorus was a little bit strange where it's like, clearly she shot her husband. Um, and now they're trying to like cover it up and it's just, it does, it seems like maybe her dad is the one that like knows she did it and is like keeping the secret for her. I'm not sure.
2: Yeah. There's, couple ways, I guess, you could read it. And I I think specifically of verse 3, to jog ahead a little bit, but they say the little corporal got in the way and he got hit by an emotional ricochet. It's a bit more now than dressing up Dolly, playing house seems so melancholy. So I get kind of like loss of innocence vibes, which make me think that maybe there's a child involved in this. He Mm -hmm. sees the mom killing the dad when the dad comes at her in a fit of rage. Mm-hmm. Um it, it there's that there's an interpretation that I looked up and it's it's someone else's swipe at it. It's not canon. The idea that um the little corporal was a way of referring to Napoleon Bonaparte. So this guy in the within the context of the song, this guy's little man complex is Napoleon complex got in the way and ended up getting him killed he was an asshole to his wife. Like, eh, hard to say. It's a little... I agree with you. It's ambiguous as to who the players are and what's going on. I guess in my mind, my headcanon is it's a, a husband and a wife. And the husband's a violent asshole. And the wife takes action into her... Takes matters into her own hands. Shoots the guy. And they have a kid who witnesses this whole thing. That's why it's an emotional ricochet. It wasn't like, oh... He got hit with the arterial spray. It's like he watched mommy kill daddy. And now now dad is keeping mom because he's yeah.
1: Silenced forever. Okay. Yeah. That that makes he sense. I like that. I like that explanation.
2: Yeah. He can't say shit because he's dead. <laughs> yeah.
1: The vocal cords ain't going to work. Um, uh-uh. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. But again, like musically was, was really good. You know, and I think, I think lyrically with your explanation, I think I I do kind of like that a little bit more. Um, and it definitely, it makes it so it kind of ties together where it seemed like before it seemed kind of disjointed a bit for me, um, with try, kind of like where the story was, like who the players were, like you're saying, but when you explain that maybe they have the little corporal is, is their son. Um, then you say now dad is keeping mom, you know, but you're, cause it's like, you're looking at it almost from the kid's point of view there where the kid's not going to say dad's dead. It's going to be like, oh, dad's sleeping. He's not saying anything, you know, like what a little kid would say. If they mm-hmm. aren't aware of like what death is necessarily at that point in their life,
2: yeah, Dad's going to a farm with other dads where they have plenty of space to run and play. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I yeah. I also really love a verse two. Like it's again little lines like this. Um, What's on his mind now is anyone's guess. Losing his touch with each caress, mm-hmm. spending every evening looking so appealing. He comes without warning and leaves without feeling, just like the utter hopelessness and there's no romance in this relationship there's no passion or intimacy in the sex it's Mm -hmm. literally just like a a a duty a compulsion they just have their sex roll over he doesn't it's not an act of intimacy and love it's just compulsory especially for her Mm -hmm. and at what point do you say i can't fucking take this anymore
1: yeah, and it sounds like maybe there was one of those times he came in wanting to, you know, wanted to get a little something and she was like, "Not this time, pal. Not this time." <laughs> yep. Pop pop.
2: <laughs> no, putting a lock on the cookie jar. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um yeah, he definitely he I can see what you're saying where he he almost you know, he doesn't seem to paint like these kind of really misogynistic characters in his songs in a very good light, but the fact that he keeps writing about them is, a, is a little bit strange to me. I'm like, there yeah. there's g And then hearing the stories about him, about how he, you know, how he treats people and that sort of thing. And that specific one that you were um, mentioning with Steven stills, you know, it's, it's, it's like, there's a little bit of a pattern here with the Costello man.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, it And the thing is, it's weird because I started reading his book, mm-hmm. which is like a fucking phone book. Um, <laughs> Not in terms of how interesting it is, just the size. Like yeah. I could stop a mugging with the fucking thing. <laughs> but um, he talks about his upbringing and his dad. You can hear how influenced Elvis Costello is with like big band and mm-hmm. and, and like you know brass bandstand kind of stuff. Um, and his dad was a sing- not a lounge singer, but uh, like a bandstand singer. Mm-hmm. So every night you'd go down to this theater whose name I can't remember. Um, coincidentally where they shot the album artwork for trust. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, his dad would like sing all the old standards and all the blue hairs in the audience would get nice and wet. And it sounds (laughs) like his dad was a decent dad and not abusive and loved the mom, but was also like kind of a philanderer. Mm -hmm. If he wasn't, if he never actually did any philandering, he definitely had that instinct and took it as far as he could. So it sounds like he didn't have a horrible, abusive asshole dad and a bad example of, you know, what intimacy looks like in a a marriage. Mm -hmm. It it sounds like he had a pretty decent childhood. So I'm like, where does this obsession with misogynists and and they get their just desserts? Yeah, but you're right. He does write about them quite a bit, especially on this album. I think a lot of that has to do with the introspection. Like, Mm -hmm. how much am I to blame for the fact that women don't stick around? Maybe it's because I have these kind of instincts.
1: Yeah, it could. I mean he he definitely seems to be honest with himself. You know, honest about yeah. himself. Um, you know, it just seems like there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of like he's like yeah I'm, I can be a piece of shit sometimes, but it doesn't sound like he's that interested in changing it either.
2: No, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so moving on to fish and chip paper, this was one that I. I am I, very, I'm undecided on this one. I think this was the one that I'm kind of the most on the fence about. Um, it's seems the lyrics are very, you know, seem like easy enough to kind of understand what's going on. Um, but I do, I do. And I think in the chorus, the line yesterday's news is tomorrow's fish and chip paper where it's like, it's basically saying like, yeah, this stuff happened, you know, it was in the news yesterday. It was big news, but tomorrow we're going to be eating our food off of that. You know, yeah. it's like, it's, it's kind of talking about how the world is just going to keep moving on, keep moving on. um, And it's, and it's just like, and also a line, there's a man in the laundrette and he's looking through your underwear for clues. I don't know what that is supposed to, what that's supposed to entail.
2: I don't either. I was kind of wondering if it was like, would he find something incriminating in the laundry? Like... It's a male politician, if we want to follow that through line. Mm-hmm. Like, a male politician, and there's, like, women's panties in his stuff. Do you just want to know if he has bad diarrhea? Like, what? Like, sifting through the underwear. I, that's not something I especially got either. I So I guess my interpretation was, like, I don't know, to see if, you know, a dossier got mixed in with the fucking the dirty undies or whatever. But it's not very clear. And
1: I th- I think maybe also like our american interpretation of underwear like when i think of underwear i think of like boxers or Mm -hmm. like just you know what you literally wear underneath your pants um and i think in like britain i think underwear means like undershirts as well like those little white t-shirts you would wear under like a button-up um as well as lipstick
2: on the collar maybe
1: Yo could yeah It could be, you know, that could be too, but I think it might be that we just are thinking of our version of what underwear is to us. But I think to underwear is like undergarments in general to them, you know, so it'd be like socks, your boxers, you know, whatever undershirt you're wearing, like it's all of that. And I think maybe if they keep that separate, they do all their laundry with that. He's not literally searching just through his like boxers or, you know, his, his tighty whiteys or whatever, you know, whatever kind of underpants he's wearing. I think it maybe just that load of laundry he's looking for. Maybe like you're saying a, you know, a, a lipstick on the collar or something like that could be.
2: Or the guy's just a fucking pervert. Could that could know? be too.
1: That could very well be too. But it seems like he's he's almost like referencing kind of like everyday life and how it just keeps moving with this, so it'd be like weird to throw in just that one little line about that um, like someone's looking through my underwear. Yeah. You know, but I wouldn't put it past Elvis Costello to do that. That's for sure.
2: He does whatever the fuck he wants. That's that's what I know.
1: Yeah. Um, but other than that, like, I, I think, you know, I think I do like the song, but I, I think it's one that I would have to listen to another time or two just to really figure it out. Because um, it was appealing at first listen, and then I was like, okay, well, I get, now i got to try to make sense of what's going on here. So I, like, got that out of it. But then I was just like, how much did this song really need to get made? Yeah. You know, like, what's he trying to What's he trying to tell me here? And it maybe just he's trying to tell me nothing. It's like a the Seinfeld episode of songs. It's just a song about nothing, really.
2: Yeah. Just I. I mean, I take it as like it's a tribute to scandal and how quickly the news cycle flops over. Yeah. Yesterday's news is tomorrow's fish and chip paper. Yeah. You know, you got to capitalize on a good story before it is completely replaced by the next thing. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. Um, and then the last song that we talked about uh, that we mentioned earlier was Big Sisters Clothes. And this was the one that you were saying is about Margaret Thatcher and the British like parliament of the early eighties. Right. Apparently. I mean, who the fuck would have ever known that?
2: <laughs> I, I mean, for real, like I'm trying, let me get the lyrics up here because I, there, uh, there's just like, no way. I I, I would never, ever, put that together as as uneducated American so I guess like with the benefit now of hindsight sheep to the slaughter oh I thought this must be love all your sons and daughters in a stranglehold with a kid glove she's got eyes like saucers so you think she's a dish she's the blue chip that belongs to the big fish I I'm sure someone who knows more about the conflict than me could be like oh yeah uh the big fish represents this politician or this political body it represents the conservatives it represents the crown i think it just means probably like
1: the elite people like whether that's the higher ranking members of parliament or the royals even um you know and i think it's i think it's just saying you know she's got eyes like saucers so you think she's a dish but so it's like she gets the people to be accepting of her and everything but she's really the pawn or the puppet of these folks that have more power
2: yeah, I mean I could see that for sure. I guess with not not being having any context for the political argument, I came up with a completely different narrative to me. And when I reframe it just going off the text, it kind of seems like it might be about a young girl who's emulating either an older sister mm-hmm. or at least an older popular figure and seeing what her relationship with what her relationship with men is like and it kind of becomes transactional for this mm-hmm. young girl it's she's not really learning anything born out of passion it's just like well the older girls are doing it this is kind of how I'd like to be so I guess I'd better do that to fit in and find my place so I kind of took it as a sad song about losing your innocence and like this, the chorus, it's easier to say, I love you than yours sincerely. Um, There's just like a cynicism to that about Mm -hmm. like, I'll say I love you, which should be a big fucking deal, but I'm really just saying it because it's easier than yours sincerely. And I kind of know it's going to get the warm reaction out of you that I need for this transaction to work. Mm -hmm. So I guess to me, it's kind of like potentially about a, a young girl Who's trying to act older than she is? Who's trying to emulate people who have gone before her? And it's kind of leading to a, a coldness and a cynicism.
1: Yeah, that would that would make sense. And I think, um, you know, I think also with the "I love you" versus "yours sincerely" thing, it's like if I say, you know, "yours sincerely," it's like you're almost offering, be like, hey, if you ever need a favor or like if I can ever do anything for you, like I'm here for you, you know. But if you say "I love you," it doesn't really have that same connotation to it so it's like i'm gonna say what i need to say to get your support but i don't really i'm not going to offer you any of mine kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah
2: yeah i mean other than that who fucking knows (laughs) again if the goal was a scathing indictment of the thatcher administration big swing and a miss over here on the other side of the pond yeah 40 years later (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah I mean, cause it had to be
1: about like, you know, cause it came out in January of 1981. So this had to have been about like the prior year. So 40 years ago is what we're yeah. talking about here. You know? So it's like, yeah, I would have never, I mean, I know who Margaret Thatcher is. I know where, yeah. I know where Britain is, but that's about the extent <laughs> yeah. of my knowledge of what was going on back there. But I think the bridge, you know, he does say the sport of Kings, the old queen's heart, the prince in darkness stole some tart. It's in the papers, it's in the charts, it's in the stop press before it all starts. You know, so it's like, there's definitely, I think, with putting that connotation about it being, you know, British Parliament. um, You know, that bridge probably makes some sense to some people. I have no idea what he's talking about, but I think Mm -hmm. the language he's using certainly seems like it fits in with that motif,
2: for sure. Well, and it's like is there a politician that at the time went by the nickname, the Prince of darkness or the Prince in darkness, like, and what is the sport of Kings? Like what is the widely accepted sport? So I'm sure there's like meaning to these things, but I go back to that point of like, if you have to sit down with the liner notes and a dictionary and a thesaurus, and you have to pour over all of this to get what he meant, then maybe you are only to preserve your sanity, all you can do is take it at face value. Mm -hmm. And I know he put a lot of thought into like, this is meticulously crafted over many drafts, but goddamn, if sometimes it doesn't seem like he just says shit to say shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: A man enough to admit that much.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so that's the, that's the last song on the album. And I think overall, I certainly, my opinion got a little better about Elvis Costello but it also kind of reinforced some of the things that I that I didn't like about him too um, which was that you know just very very wordy very verbose and while I can't really like knock that as a you know as a style at all because I you know one of my favorite my favorite artists is Bruce Springsteen you know as well as Coheed and Cambria so it's like you know I can't really knock somebody for for lyrics that are you know very dense and stuff like that because i listen to plenty but it's just i felt like like i was saying at the beginning you know before right before we started talking about the album that it's just there's very he gives very little context about what he's talking about and it seems like there's very very specific language that he uses and without knowing that context i just was kind of lost on a lot of the songs
2: i can see that and there. The thing is, when we originally talked about the albums for this week, I got a wire crossed. and I thought we were going to review the new Elvis Costello. And I'm like, oh, I had this long term plan for how I was going to like slowly bring Jeff around. (laughs) And I talked to Tanner. I'm like, what do you think I should make him listen to first? And like this whole (laughs) evil plan we had to bring you around, Um, you know, sneaking vegetables in your pizza kind of thing. (laughs) Um, but my plans were accelerated as a result of our, our pact this week. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate you giving it an honest, listen, if it's not your thing, it's not your thing, baby.
1: Yeah. And I, I think I will go back to a few of the songs and, and maybe I'll check out a couple of the other albums. Cause I was like, I heard enough things in here that are good that if he does more of that kind of stuff on other albums, I may very well end up liking him a lot. Maybe just this album wasn't for me. I don't know. But I, I'll certainly go into it, look into it for sure.
2: What I think I'd love to do at some point, too, is just make you a playlist of some of my favorites and mm-hmm. see what you think of those. Okay.
1: I think that, I, honestly, because he's he's released so many albums. You know, so yeah. I think it'd be hard to, I may very, like, I don't want to accidentally just go on to one that's, like, universally reviled, you know, and just and, and totally judge him based on that. So I think, yeah, if you make a playlist or something, I'd absolutely... I'd absolutely listen to that.
2: All right, word. And maybe I'll get Tanner to help me work on that too.
1: Beautiful. Okay. So I'm I'm gonna say, like, give Elvis Costello a chance, man. You know, I I don't know if I'm gonna say stream this album particularly, but you know, I will say stream Elvis Costello, like see if you're into him.
2: I'm gonna say stream this one and and stream the man.
1: Yeah. Um, and you had so you had mentioned that you had an idea for for a future thing to do on this out on that land yes. podcast.
2: So you know how we're always doing two albums mm-hmm. and it's it's a review of these two set albums. I had a thought. What if we capped it at 10 songs each? Okay. If we made playlists for each other and exchanged those. Okay. You know, so instead of like, oh, it's the new fucking Dirks Bentley, it's a playlist where like anything goes. Okay. And like no specific criteria. It can be an old favorite. It can be a current earworm. It could be something that like you only discovered through your Discover Weekly or whatever. Okay. um, But just putting together our own little mixtapes for each other and reviewing those. Well, and musical, an open, some musical love letters. Yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, just the boys I'll on the pod. I'll send in my
2: letter to you, Jeff.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, 10 songs, I'll probably just send you Born to Run.
2: <laughs> well, there we go. Maybe I'll
1: tack on one more. That's only got nine, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I like that. Um, and we could we could just, like, sprinkle those episodes in here and there throughout. You know, if they're, if it's a dry week for new albums, you know, we could yes. always just do that. Um, if we do it multiple times, we can put a theme on it, like say, okay, 10 best, you know, rock songs, 10 best songs from the seventies, like whatever, you know, whatever we might decide we want to do. But I think that's a great idea.
2: Yeah. I just figured a little change of pace, something we could try at some point. Absolutely.
1: And and also, so this episode, you know, Alex was mentioning that we got our wires crossed a little bit. Um, you know, I think I was the one that got my wires crossed because reading back on the text messages where we kind of decide what we're going to do. Um it was very clear that Alex meant to listen to Alex Costello's new one. Um I listened to the new Tame and Paula album because we were also discussing doing that one as a as a listener request. Um so what was the name of the person that, that requested that one?
2: Nor. She's a friend of mine from grad school. Okay,
1: excellent. So Noor, it's coming eventually, <laughs> you know we got held up by by the boss by Bruce Springsteen um and then held up by my own stupidity on this one um but I, the album is coming that album review will will come eventually um and i will say spoiler alert you know i think i'm going to i think you're going to like what, what i have to say about it um but yeah just you know thanks for listening don't think we're ignoring you sorry about that um and i think what what's our what's our timing at right now hour and night yeah. Okay. I think. I mean. I think that's. I think that's a good amount of content for this episode. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think we could call it here. If okay. You like.
1: Okay. Um, so first, you know, I want to go ahead and plug our socials because we do. We do like to hear from you on those. So Instagram, you're going to find us at out on that line. Um, on Twitter, they'll be out on that line one. Our Gmail. Uh, feel free to use that. Long form emails, we love those. You know, make sure that your grammar and syntax is correct though, because. I will be getting out my red pen. Um, That's going to be out on that line at gmail.com. Keep those album submissions coming in. Um, We love them because it gives us, you know, otherwise we're just going to kind of pigeonhole ourselves into just kind of what we want to listen to and what we like. Um, And we want to hear what you like. We want to hear what, you know, other people are, are into, you know, to give us just a little broader perspective of things. I think that's it. Thanks for coming, everybody. We'll see you next time.